What's up, everybody? Hardest part of the ring here again. Back at you with a little review ski of NXT TakeOver in your house. Just wrapped up last night, and uh, I gotta say, pretty damn good show. If nothing else, I think, in my opinion, probably the best show of the Corona era, if you will. The best show that's occurred without real fans in the audience. You can't really compare it to other takeovers because a lot of what makes takeovers so great is that that energy from the crowd and the type of fans that attend these events and how into the matches they get. The crowd really makes these takeover events in my opinion and obviously when you don't have that um, it's going to make the event suffer. It's going to make it you know, not as good as it would have been otherwise with fans but nonetheless they made the most of it, and uh, I enjoyed myself watching this event. Um, I think they're kind of figuring it out, WWE and NXT. I think they're figuring out how to uh, maneuver around this this whole situation that we're in nowadays. Finally got some uh, NXT wrestlers in the crowd. Finally, you know, are incorporating pre-recorded stuff more often than not. Um you have no fans in the audience. You might as well make the most of that opportunity and um, do some unique stuff. And I think they they really pulled some of that stuff out here on this show, and uh, I liked it a lot. And one thing in particular that I enjoyed a lot was the setup, the stage setup. Man, I miss the days. Every pay-per-view event, they would have a new stage. They would have a stage that kind of represented what the event was. It kind of and just made it feel different, you know. It made it feel different than the weekly TV shows, you know. <laughs> they would have backlash, the pay per view, and they would have like swinging like scythes or hooks or whatever the fuck. I don't even know what they were, but they it had this huge elaborate stage. And I know now next Sunday we have backlash in 2020, and it's probably just gonna be the same exact three HD LED boards and a fucking ramp. Then that's it. But Nonetheless, I did love the setup for In Your House, kind of an homage to the old school In Your House events. Um, a lot of that actually during the show with the Todd Pettengill. He used to be like the kind of the host for those old school In Your House events. He was like the announcer, like the face of In Your House, basically. So they, they brought Todd back, which is pretty funny. And some Ico Pro ads, which if you didn't live through the time, you might not get, but... Um, Ico Pro was a big, big sponsor back then, and they kind of poked fun at it a little bit uh, during this show. And then they had, yeah, man, just a general feeling of nostalgia, um, making it a novelty, making it interesting, and making it unique, making it stand out among the other takeovers, which, you know, these shows are going to suffer without a crowd. You might as well put forth effort into making this show feel unique and feel fun. So... As far as that goes, I think they uh, they did a very good job here with In Your House and the whole setup they had there. Show opens up with the band Code Orange, the little uh, live performance, which is pretty good. And then it transitions into the first match, which is the uh, six-woman tag team match. You have Mia Yim, Shotzi Blackheart, and Tegan Knox versus Dakota Kai, Raquel Gonzalez, and Candice LeRae. A uh, solid opener here. Nothing that you should necessarily go out of your way to see. But um, definitely a, uh, a passable opening match for this event. I enjoyed myself. It wasn't too long. Um, everybody got their shit in. 
the pace was what it needed to be, and they had the appropriate interactions between uh, Tegan Knox and Dakota Kai and uh, Mia Yim and Candice LeRae. Uh, Mia and Candice ended up fighting to the back, so kind of isolating their rivalry from the match. And then uh, ultimately that the finish of the match came with uh, Tegan Knox hitting the shiniest wizard on Dakota Kai and uh, getting a, a semblance of revenge against Dakota Kai, which felt like a uh, an appropriate, um, I don't know if it's like the end of their feud, I doubt it is, but um seemed like an appropriate ending and an appropriate finish, and it uh, felt satisfying as far as the storyline goes. The main takeaway here is that Shotzi Plakart is the star of this group of women. So much charisma, and it's like natural charisma too. It's not this fake, you see a lot of people do that nowadays, where they try too hard to have a character. But Shotzi Blackguard here seems like a natural as far as what her character is, and seems like somebody that people can identify with. She stands out, which is the most important thing. And uh, people love her, man. Um, You see it all over online. Everybody loves Shotzi Blackheart, and I can't wait to finally see her (laughs) wrestle with some fans in the audience in WWE. But um, good stuff from everybody all around. I mean, as far as what they do going forward, I mean, I like Dakota Kai and I like Tegan Knox, but outside of them fighting each other, I don't know where they go from here. Um, Obviously, there's the NXT women's title that they could each respectably go for. But as far as long-term booking for them, I don't see them being at odds for that long. I would venture a bet that they will be back together as a tag team within... By the end of 2020, I bet you they will be back together as a tag team challenging for the women's tag team titles. Just because that's how WWE's booking is. And um, very short-sighted, very short-term booking a lot of the times. Um, I know NXT, you know, they have a lot of long-term storylines that they have um, created over the years. But during this transition time, during this, this, this phase of NXT, I have less and less faith in that. But I love Dakota Kai. I love Tegan Knox, But hopefully they, uh, they succeed in the future. Because right now they're kind of treading water as far as I'm concerned. And I just got to say, man... With these fucking heel turns. Dakota Kai and Candice LeRae feel like the exact same thing. Both of them were white meat baby faces. The crowd loved both of them. They were both super over at a time. And then they just decided to turn them heel. They didn't give either of these girls a chance to challenge for the women's title. And a meaningful storyline. A meaningful build up to a match. They didn't give them the chance, regardless of how over they were, and they just turned them heel to get a reaction. And that seems like, unfortunately, that seems like a common trend in WWE nowadays. They kind of aren't booking people for the long term. They don't see the big picture, and they just do things for um, instantaneous reactions rather than uh, what is truly going to be effective for them in the in the long term. Dakota Kai, I mean, she's done pretty well as a heel but nothing that's really made her stand out in my opinion and uh same for Candice LeRae even though we're still pretty early on into it so I don't know man they, they they feel their music sounds the same their their look is the same do you ever notice by the way when women turn heel they just all of a sudden start wearing more makeup and more revealing clothing just because they're heel like it's so silly to me man I don't like I said they're doing the exact same thing and um, hopefully each of them do something to make each other stand out. Because right now it's kind of 
everyone in the women's division, not everyone in the women's division, but a lot of people in the women's division are kind of starting to blend together. But, um, and Mia, by the way, just to add on here, Mia Yim sucks. Just wanted to get that out there. Um, <laughs> I mean, she, she does suck. I mean, her matches suck. Her character is corny. She tries too hard to be like thug. Like, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna sit here and say that that's not who she is, but she comes off like a caricature of what she's trying to be. And it's really, really cringy to watch every time she talks. But whatever. Fucker. Um, next match Finn Balor versus Damian Priest. Pretty good match here. I liked how these guys' styles mesh together. You have, they're both kind of strikers, both really fast moving. But uh, Damian Priest was the the heel in this match, obviously, so he was able to utilize his size and really able to portray himself as a monster in this match, which is exactly what they needed to do, and I think they executed it pretty well. Although I will say, when it comes to Damian Priest, the dude wrestles like a babyface. Very spot-heavy, a lot of high-flying for a big guy. He does things to appease to the crowd and to create gifs on instagram or whatever these wrestlers do nowadays he wrestles too high he he wrestles too indie if i could put it that way for lack of a better term he's uh reliant on spots and he should be focusing more in my opinion um wrestling more in tune with his character i love his character work i love how he talks i love his uh his motivations behind his character i love all that stuff I feel like if he can translate that character into his ring style, I know that's kind of a vague, weird way to put it, but he, like I said, he just wrestles too much like a, like a good guy, like a guy who's trying to entertain the fans. And as a heel, you shouldn't be trying to do that. You should be trying to make the fans boo you, not make the fans cheer you. So, and he seems like a pretty, you know, <laughs> I, feel, I feel like he could transition into a, a baby face pretty easily, in my opinion. I mean, he's uh, very charismatic. I feel like he could have, the fans in the palm of his hand if he wanted to. So maybe we'll see that in the future for him. Um, but if he stays a heel, I don't see him uh, rising above much higher than he is during this show. As far as Finn Balor goes, man, dude, I, I can't think of anybody more bland than Finn Balor right now. He came back to NXT so hot, dude. He, he had that heel turn. He was one of the most talked about wrestlers in the industry had a, a great feud and a great match with Johnny Gargano. And then he just seemingly out of nowhere is a good guy again for no reason. You know what I mean? Like no explanation, just, oh, we don't have any uh, baby faces for you to face at the next takeover. So I guess we'll just make you uh, make you a baby face and then we'll throw a heel at you. I don't know. Damian Priest, maybe. Sure. That'll work. That's kind of how this this whole feud felt. This whole build up to this match felt. Um, so in that sense, I was pretty disappointed in this, uh, in this matchup, but the two guys, as far as the match itself goes, made the most of it. Like I said, very, uh, very hard hitting and the styles meshed very well. That sick fucking stairs bump that Damian Priest took was absolutely gnarly. I cringed when I saw it. It it was reminiscent of Sean getting backdropped onto the casket and forcing him out of action for years with a back injury. That's what it re- instantly reminded me of when I saw it. Damian Priest falls off the apron onto the stairs and he lands like right on the small of his back on the edge of the stairs. It looked absolutely devastating, but he seemed fine. I don't know if it was adrenaline or what it was, but 
maybe he just had a lucky landing, but obviously finished the match. And uh, I liked a lot of what I saw in this match, although it kind of felt like a, a greatest hits type match for Finn Balor. It was unfortunately very reminiscent of his main roster style matches, which goes back to why, like, why is he, ba- if he was a heel, I think this would have been much, much better. It would have felt much more unique, but same old stuff from Finn, but uh, Damian Priest, aside from him wrestling too much like a baby face, I think he performed very well in this match. And the match overall was uh, pretty solid, in my opinion. I know that there's good and bad, but overall, I think it was pretty solid. Um, after that, we have Johnny Gargano versus Keith Lee for the North American Championship. Overall, I did not like this match. I think the premise of Johnny Gargano, who is like probably like 5'10", 160 pounds, I don't, whatever the fuck he is, he's this very small dude, and Keith is a big guy. And, um, Johnny Gargano spent the majority of the match controlling Keith Lee. Now, I see what they're doing here. On the previous NXT, they had Johnny Gargano injure Keith Lee's eye and, you know, break his hand or whatever. And the premise here was they're going to utilize that as, okay, Keith Lee is essentially handicapped here, so he's not at full strength. So this is going to open up a opportunity for Johnny Gargano to uh, take advantage of those injuries. But that's not really what happened. You know, the commentators are trying to put over that Keith Lee has a scratched cornea or whatever and a broken hand, broken finger, something. He had a hand injury of some sort. But Keith Lee did zero selling of those injuries during the match. Zero. The eye thing never came into play other than when Johnny Gargano stabbed him in the eye with a key. But even like right after that, he's like acting like it never fucking happened. Keith Lee did absolutely no selling in this match he never sold the hand so he was pretty much just a full strength bear of a man getting just suffocated by this tiny vanilla midget it was just, it came off very unbelievable to me um and i just couldn't get invested in the match because the premise of it was just so silly and the execution of the selling was pretty much non-existent so that really took me out of the match in my opinion. There were a few cool spots here. The pounce through the, the plexiglass wall there. It's a cool spot. Uh, the silly little spot with the Johnny trying to run through the... Uh, trying to open up the door in the entranceway and trying to leave. But it's all getting caught on the ring doorbell they have uh, right next to the door, which is pretty funny. Um, but that's really like... I don't know. It, it's, it was fun and silly, so I won't shit on it too much, but... It seems like with Keith Lee, you know, they had that one like really popular gif where Keith Lee kind of rose from behind Finn Balor as Finn was in the corner and it kind of became a meme. I feel like they're just trying to recreate that every time Keith Lee is out there. And that's what it seemed like they were doing here. It seems kind of ingenuine. It seems unorganic. And I don't know, man. I want to like Keith Lee. I think Keith has a lot of potential, but they need to stop being so corny with him and i don't know man i mean he's it just really bothered me that he didn't sell anything in this match which you know that's kind of his style with his matches with damian priest and dominic dijakovic selling isn't a thing for keith lee but he's a monster of a man i get it you shouldn't be he shouldn't be selling too much but you gotta sell something if especially if you're in a match where the majority of the match are getting controlled by a guy that's a third your size. You have to sell a little bit, Keith. Come on, man. 
the finish of this match it was really cool though he had a keith hit a spirit bomb on johnny gargano picked him up hit him with another power bomb lifted him back up right into the big bang catastrophe one two three keith lee wins still your north american champion so good stuff here the guys worked hard but there was a lot of parts of this match that made me not like it too much unfortunately um Johnny Gargano, man. I'm worried this dude is going to be Big Showed. And what I mean by that is Big Show, he came in as this monster heel. This huge, like, everybody hated him. Then he turned babyface. He started doing the goofy characters. And then he turned heel again when he came back from injury. And then he turned babyface. And then heel face, heel face, heel face, heel face. His whole career to the point where nobody cared about him because nobody knew whether to hate him or to love him. You could say that about a lot of people. Kane was pretty similar, too. Natalia on Raw is the same way. These people, when you turn heel and face, heel face every other week, nobody has time to get invested in you, so nobody's going to care about you. Like I said, they don't know whether to boo you or whether to cheer you because you're flip-flopping every single week. And that's I'm exaggerating in terms of Johnny Gargano because I know he's only flipped a few times. But he had that like one first initial heel turn, right? And that, that lasted like a, a month or two. And then he turned face, which lasted like a month or two. And then he turned heel. And now he's heel. Now people aren't really committing to booing him. Like it's, it's hard to say that because there's no fans in the audience. I get it. But me as a viewer watching it, I'm, I don't dislike Johnny Gargano. But I don't love him either. I'm not like... My, my heart isn't attached to his character. And I feel like it's very, very possible that that is a very widespread opinion on him. And maybe I'm wrong. I could be wrong. But it's just my worry that they're going to be flip-flopping Johnny too much to where he's not going to amount to much in the future. Which would be a shame because I think he has Daniel Bryan-like characteristics where I feel like he could be a top, top babyface. I think he's very good at wrestling that style. Um, he's all, he also could be a, a really shitty chicken shit heel, which is great, but they need to commit one way or the other, because if they keep flip-flopping them, nobody's going to care. Um, just my two cents on Johnny Gargano and where he's going right now. And after that, you have the backlot brawl between Adam Cole and Velveteen Dream for the NXT championship. Um, I will say I like that they took this route. This route of a pre-recorded match in a separate location reminded me of the Eddie Guerrero versus John Cena parking lot brawl they had in like 03, 04, something like that. So that was pretty cool. Um, love the dream dressing like Negan from Walking Dead and Adam Cole driving in on a monster truck. That was a lot of cool stuff there. But after that, man, this match kind of dragged for me. It was kind of just felt, I don't know, man, I don't want to say boring. But it felt like I felt like they started fighting and like nothing mattered until the end. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, so, yeah, maybe maybe that is boring. But I, I will I will say I probably prefer this to a normal match. I think they made a more entertaining uh, segment here with this backlap brawl than a normal match would have been. But, you know, man, I mean, this this feud is just very cold, I think, is the issue here because they had what they had. Velveteen Dream pinned Adam Cole in a tag team match, and then Dream got injured. He was gone for months, and then he comes back, kind of reignites the feud a little bit, has that weird little feud with Roderick Strong in which he was acting like a heel, but he was a babyface. 
So I think that made people kind of sour on Velveteen Dream a little bit and showed how he really hasn't progressed in the ring that much. You know, I think he, in those matches with Aleister Black, I think he showed that he was much more uh, competent in the ring than people gave him credit for, but I feel like he kind of plateaued after that. And he hasn't really progressed to a point where I think, I think Velveteen Dream can only have good matches with people that carry him to good matches, unfortunately. Um, like I said, that match of Alistair and Velveteen Dream is one of my favorite NXT matches of all time. But then you have stuff like Velveteen Dream versus EC3 or Velveteen Dream versus Roderick Strong or um, any of the other random matches he's had on NXT I feel like haven't lived up to what his potential was. And I'm worrying that Velveteen Dream has already hit his peak. But who knows? I'm getting away from, from the match itself. The match itself... Like I said, it felt like it kind of dragged a little bit, but um, had some pretty um, pretty good spots here with uh, Adam Cole falling off a ladder onto a windshield. You had Dexter Loomis <laughs> coming in and abducting the rest of Undisputed Era, which is pretty funny. But the match ultimately comes to an end when Adam Cole hits Dream with a Panama Sunrise onto a stack of chairs, which looked really good. And wouldn't you know it, a Canadian destroyer actually finishes a match. That is a fucking five leaf clover if I've never seen one. Um, so good stuff, good finish there. Um, overall, the match was uh, was okay. It didn't overstay its welcome, which is good. And I'm glad they kind of took this route rather than an actual match. But the feud just really didn't give this match any favors. And um, I'm interested to see where both these guys go from here because Adam Cole. I was talking about Finn Balor earlier and how bland he is, but if there's anyone more bland than Finn Balor, it's Adam Cole. Dude, I look, I don't I don't care. There's a lot of people that had that take issue with the fact that he's had such a long title reign, and those people are idiots because <laughs> title reigns titles get more credibility when people have long title reigns. Nigel McGuinness did that for the ROH title. Finn Balor did that initially for the NXT title. Brock Lesnar did that for the Universal title. It's a good thing to have long reigns. And Adam Cole has had pretty entertaining matches during his reign and has faced a variety of people. But his character, man, who gives a shit about Adam Cole? Dude, he's just a, he's an undescript dude with long hair. That's the extent of his character. I feel like Everything about him in the Undisputed Era just comes off as generic. And um, maybe they just need to move to the main roster. Maybe that's the refresh they need. I think they would actually have more opportunities to expand upon their character on the main roster. So that might be very good for them. But um, they need something, man. Because I don't think Adam Cole is at Reign of Terror just yet. But um, if he doesn't expand upon what his character is and what his title reign means... It's going to be pretty, um, people are going to get fatigued really fast. A lot of people already are. So um, hopefully we see better things from Adam Cole in the future. And you can say a lot of the same things about Velveteen Dream. Dude has lost so much momentum since he came back from injury. And then he had the whole thing with the text messages and all that. That didn't help him any matters. Honestly, it's almost like it's like wrecked his confidence a little bit. I feel like he's, his character is less exaggerated ever since then which has probably hindered it a lot and which has forced him to just rely on his matches which i don't think a guy like that 
can carry himself with just his matches itself. He's very character-based, and his character is where the money is, which is, again, a move to the main roster I think would do wonders for Velveteen Dream. And I think that's desperately what he needs right now, especially since he can't challenge for the NXT title anymore. Maybe a heel turn. Something. He needs something because people are not caring as much about Velveteen Dream and his star power is waning and um, he needs something. He needs a refresh as well, in my opinion. But um, as far as the title match goes, it was solid, but nothing that I would necessarily go back and watch again. Nothing. It didn't compare to the, the Boneyard match or the Stadium Stampede or even one final beat. You know, I don't think it compared to those matches, but still, I like what they did there. I like the route they took, but I feel like the feud... The execution of the feud itself was lackluster. And then after that, we have Karrion Cross versus Tommaso Ciampa, which was a glorified squash match of Tommaso Ciampa. Man, I mean, that's kind of what the match had to be. I mean, they're obviously committed to building Karrion Cross as a huge, unstoppable monster. So I don't hate the booking of this match, and I um I don't hate that Cross got the victory here in a pretty short match. But me personally, I'm not super sold on Karrion Cross. Um, to be fair, I'm not very familiar with his work. I know he was in TNA for a long time, but I never really saw any of his matches. I know he spent a lot of time like um, in Mexico and in Lucha Underground, AAA, stuff like that. So he's a very um, tenured wrestler, and he's wrestled all across the world, which is great. But from what I've seen so far, I'm not super sold on him. Uh, maybe he needs a long-form match to kind of better represent who he is. Or maybe not. Maybe these kind of short burst matches are where he thrives. Maybe, maybe not. But I'm still not super sold on him. I think mainly because when I look at him, I don't... I get the same feeling I get when I look at Lashley, right? Because you have Lashley. He's obviously a huge, jacked, ripped dude. From the neck down, he is an absolute tank. From the neck up, he is a fucking goober. (laughs) Bobby Lashley has the least intimidating looking face that I've ever seen. His facials are all silly and he just has a baby face and he's very just, he's he's got like soft features basically. And the way he moves and the way he looks, he's just very soft. Karrion Cross is kind of similar in that aspect. He's a tall guy, he's like relatively built. But his face, he just looks like an accountant or something. Like, I don't, I don't know what it is. He just doesn't look scary to me. He does what he can. You know, he has all the tattoos and he has the height. And he has the entrance music and all that stuff. He has Scarlet with him. His presentation is pretty good. But long term, I don't know what this guy's shelf life is. You know what I mean? So the jury's still out. But as far as his, as his performance here on this show, I thought it was solid. I thought it was really good. But interested to see where he goes from here. Maybe he continues his feud with Champa. Maybe they have a few more matches in the next coming months, and each one becomes more and more competitive, kind of akin to you know what John Cena and Brock Lesnar did a few years ago. If I had to guess, I would probably guess that's where they're going with this. Maybe Champa just took him too lightly in this match, and he got routed for it. So uh, maybe that's the story here. I guess that's why we watch, right? So, um, but the match itself was pretty good. I enjoyed it. Then your main event, we have. The NXT women's title on the line. We have Charlotte Flair versus Rhea Ripley versus Io Shirai. Awesome fucking match here. Definitely the match of the night, in my opinion. They all got their spots in. It felt like a kind of a best of in a lot of ways. But they utilized the set. They utilized um, 
double team maneuvers kind of you know the triple threat atmosphere gives you all these unique scenarios and they kept the pace up throughout the match it never dragged and um i was invested in it the whole time even even like the nxt guys in the crowd were really into it and it made the match feel epic and it made it feel like a main event ultimately io shirai ends up getting the win here your new women's champion awesome 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 i love io shirai I love her whole presentation. I love her style. I think she has one of the more believable combat styles as far as the women's division goes and as far as the NXT roster as a whole goes. Very, very great wrestler and well-deserved here. I will say, though, I am annoyed that Charlotte didn't get pinned here because wasn't that the whole point of Charlotte winning the NXT title to have somebody dethrone her to build up somebody? You have Charlotte win the title at WrestleMania, and we're like, okay. So Charlotte is the solidified queen of NXT, and whoever ends up beating her is going to get that rub and is going to be solidified as the top of the mountain of the women's division. But here, not only does Charlotte not get beat, but you beat Rhea Ripley again. Rhea Ripley, who was on fire at the end of 2019 and now is just dead in the fucking water. You beat Rhea Ripley again just so Charlotte doesn't have to take a pin? Are you fucking kidding me? Throw Io a fucking bone, please. What was the point? What Was it just a, a desperate attempt at a ratings boost by putting the title on Charlotte? It obviously didn't work. Nobody gives a fuck about Charlotte. She's mechanically good in the ring. She has a good look, good size, and good genetics. Outside of that, nobody gives a shit about Charlotte Flair. Nobody. She has no mainstream appeal. She doesn't appeal to the internet, quote-unquote, fans. She doesn't appeal to the casual fans. I think they are, they being WWE, are grossly overestimating the effect that Charlotte has on ratings and on overall interest in the show. They need to dial back on Charlotte a little bit. It is insane. They had a stat. Tom Phillips threw a stat out at the beginning of the match that said, over the course of her career, Charlotte has been in 60 title matches. 60. That's insane. I just really wish EO would have pinned Charlotte here, or if not EO, then somebody else. I wish somebody would have beaten Charlotte to win the title. And I especially am I'm more annoyed at the fact that Rhea Ripley had to eat the pin. We have to sacrifice all of Rhea Ripley's momentum just to appease Charlotte and a to keep her strong, brother. Bunch of fucking bullshit, dude. But whatever. Um, I'm still happy that Io is the champ. Look forward to see where she goes from there. Um, hopefully Charlotte is gone from NXT. Actually, you know what? I take that back. I hope what they do is give Charlotte a rematch with Io Shirai. Because Charlotte can claim that she wasn't pinned. She didn't lose the title. So... Hopefully they lead to a one-on-one rematch between Io Shirai and Charlotte, and then Io can get the win there. I hope that's what happens, but I don't have a lot of optimism there. Especially since, like, 20 minutes after the match ended, Charlotte's fucking on Twitter congratulating Io. Like, are you kidding me? Can we have some semblance of continuity here, please? Whatever. But, um, whatever. Io's champion. I could be happy with that, so... Overall, the show, I, I did, I enjoyed the show, but there was a lot of issues with um, each of the matches. Not necessarily the matches themselves, but 
you know, the build, the build to this card in general was pretty lackluster. It was pretty cold. And then, um, the COVID stuff isn't helping. I understand, but NXT is definitely, um, going through some transitions. You know, there, there was a period of time where they had a constant influx of huge indie stars, right? They would basically sign somebody. They would debut to a massive ovation. They would build up to a takeover where they face somebody, some gatekeeper, then the next takeover, they would fight for the title and they would either lose that title match and then go to the main roster or win the title and then defend it once or twice and then, then go onto the main roster, right? They had a constant formula of that, you know, they would chew the gum until it lost flavor and then they would throw it out and put another one in their mouth, right? So I feel like they're transitioning from that and are now more towards, they have like a solidified roster, right? So you're going to see some rematches. You're going to see some characters stay there for a while. And people are bothered that Adam Cole has had a long title reign. I mean, how short are your attention spans, people? Let, let the guy build a title reign. I, I spoke earlier about how bland he is. I understand it. But he's a dominant champion. And that champion, that title reign itself is a storyline that he can build off of. So when somebody does beat him eventually, it means something. It's not a guy winning a title off a guy that just won it a month later. It's a guy that's solidified himself as the top of the mountain. So whoever beats him is going to get a rub. And that's a good thing. It's good. It's a good for whoever gets that rub. It's a good thing for Adam Cole. It's a good thing for the title itself. And it's a good thing for NXT. So stop calling Adam Cole's reign a reign of terror because it is not. He's having great matches and albeit his character work is lacking. The matches themselves have been consistently at least pretty good. So just let things unfold and then assess from there. I would venture a bet that Adam Cole is probably moving to the main roster by the end of the year. So don't hold your britches too tight on that one. So regardless, that's pretty much all I got for you guys here today. NXT TakeOver in your house in general was a solid show for what it was. Minus, you know, the cold buildup and whatnot the show they, they made the best of what they had so i can't really shit on them too much thank you guys once again for listening i am hard Thank you.